0: All right, so this, I believe, is the 21st or 22nd episode of On That Note. I've lost count somewhere on this, uh, this road trip here. Um, and I'm sitting down with Josh Martin and Ryan Donald, Ryan Thomas Donald, uh, <laughs> from the band Little Tybee. They are, you know, an incredibly talented uh, duo of musicians here. They also have some bandmates uh, who are also very talented. Um, and I'm gonna be sitting down and kind of talking to them about some music today. Okay, so this is kind of a broad question and I can be more specific if you, if you need me to be. Um, and feel free to get in on this as well, Ryan. But what, cause the way you approach the instrument, Josh, is obviously very, very unique. Um, and the things you do on the guitar not a whole lot of other people are doing. Um, and obviously you have your influences. But what life events do you think led you to approach the guitar the way that you did um
1: uh I think it's it's a pretty basic story I started playing um and I was left-handed I didn't know there was a left-handed guitar that existed um I actually failed a ceramics class one time because there was not a left-handed wheel Mm -hmm. um so other parts of my life it did not help me uh, but in this part, I, I feel like left-handedness is one of the things that society has actually like gotten over the stigma. I feel like most of the things we've stubbornly held on to. But with left-handedness, it's one of those few things where like it's not that much of a disadvantage. Like I think we have like shorter lifespans. But I ended up playing <laughs> uh, a right-handed guitar, and my left hand was able to have this rhythmic and uh, just d- dominant. Like, I think the guitar is almost set up to where you would think that the left hand should be the dominant dominant hand, but what what, like, and this was a struggle for me starting because my right hand was very confused. And like, I would try to do a very basic, like Johnny Cash kind of strumming pattern. And my grandpa would always like say that you can't play lead until you can play rhythm. Um, And I would try to play blues solos with him and I would struggle with rhythm aspects. He would want me to hold it, hold it down. Um, But yeah, the reason that the the guitar is considered right-handed when your right hand is playing with a pick it's like that's the rhythmic backbone and your left hand is kind of the icing so like you just need your left hand to be the thing that you're focusing on and your right hand needs to be the thing that's like the the drum set or whatever but um but yeah so because i didn't really start from that place it was like my left hand could take on a lot of responsibilities my right hand was more free to do uh, lead lines and more icing and my left hand could kind of take the cake and just like hammer on and do other kinds of rhythms Um, but yeah that kind of I slowly started to see that I had like a really strong left hand and I could do legato stuff and from there it became more and more like I would just uh, then it it also became just like identity and self worth and like I was like 12 and I like didn't have a lot of friends and I like Mm -hmm. instantly made friends so it was kind of like all these things kind of had this like confluence or whatever and uh, I was able to like make friends and become semi popular in like, like ninth grade or whatever because I could play guitar and then I met Like, made friends with a band and played like deftone covers at someone's birthday party. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I remember those days. (laughs)
0: Um, That's really cool. And one thing you touched on in that response um, is musical identity. And as a music teacher, I'm always really fascinated by the way in which musical identities form and how varied they are from musician to musician. Um, So I I read in an interview online that you did way back in 2014 um, that you had said early on you got recognition from approaching the guitar in a unique way. Mm. And you were doing it kind of unconsciously at that point. But as you got more recognition for being unique, you started to consciously kind of experiment and approach the instrument differently. Um, So what I'm curious about is, do you think that there is another universe where you maybe got recognition for something other than that uniqueness, maybe like your tone or your speed and kind of went down that path? Or do you think you always would have ended back up at approaching the instrument in the way that you do? Um,
1: it's funny uh, that you mentioned that because in seventh grade I had like this existential crisis and this, this sounds so juvenile but I was like... Well you were in seventh grade? Yeah. <laughs> I was like I I will. I either have to be a pro skateboarder or a guitar player and I had this like complete fork in the road and I was like alright and then basically overnight I like woke up in the middle of the night and I was like okay I'm gonna be a musician. I was like art Sports there's no contest here like there's a whole emotional aspect uh, But yeah, so I picked the guitar sold on my skateboard stuff. I stole I sold the skateboarding shirts I sold everything I was like completely done with skateboarding uh, But yeah, I always picture because I had all this willpower and I always picture like what if I had just only skated after that Like <laughs> there's some alternate version of me that picked it, but no uh, when it comes to music I think yeah I think I started off and I was very into technique and I I feel like I was kind of rewarded for that aspect and also there's just like a wow factor uh, right away from Mm -hmm. that Um, and then the internet rewards that also Uh, but yeah I think now as I'm getting older I'm kind of maturing into more of um, I'm starting to like starting to really appreciate the timbrel characteristics I'm starting to appreciate like different pedals and different ways of arranging pedals and just a lot more subtle things that like make the guitar fit into a mix uh, things like that interesting but yeah i don't i don't think there was like a definitive uh, I don't know. Yeah, I can't imagine some definitive thing that would have totally changed my trajectory, but uh, yeah, I'm not sure.
0: Got it. Um, and then, Ryan, to open that question up to you, I'm curious what were some things that you um, sort of early on in your music career? Were you always a bass player? Uh, I started playing trumpet when I was 10. Okay. And then switched, not switched, but added the
2: uh, electric bass when I was 13. Okay. So, and it, well, I always wanted to be a drummer. <laughs> so like I think what so you ha- failed. Well, like, I think what happened was my I we you know it was like fifth grade. Uh-huh. So like they my parents took me into the music store. It's like you you know you'll be in concert band and I I from that age I knew I wanted to be a drummer. Okay. And uh, I went into the music store and the guy you know he's like oh what instrument do you want to play? I was like I want to play drums. He's like all right clap this rhythm and you know it was like uh-huh. and to this day like I swear I did it perfectly. Uh-huh. And then he was just like no I don't think drums are for you. And I was like <laughs> but oh, I man. it was. And then I think it was just my parents standing behind me like, no, 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 no not, <laughs> oh, trumpet, that. not trumpet, not Trump. Like, we don't <laughs> want to have to hated. listen to that racket, you know. So he was like, pick all another right. instrument. And I was like, literally just, it was just a wall of band instruments mm-hmm. all in a row. And I was like, uh, tru- trumpet? Is that a trumpet? And he's like, all right, you're a trumpet player. I was like, that went, that was weird. That didn't go <laughs> how I wanted, you know. So I, I, I toughed it out and... uh uh I, it, it taught me something interesting. I was like, wow, I, I really understand music theory. Mm-hmm. And if I had just become a drummer, it would have just been rhythm. Mm-hmm. Um, so a couple of friends of mine, a, a, a drummer and a guitarist, were like, hey, do you have any interest in playing bass? Mm-hmm. And uh, I was like, yeah, sounds fun. I could have said no. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but when I started playing bass, I realized like that's the instrument between... like That literally joins the rhythm with the harmony. Mm-hmm. And I already knew enough about music theory that I just took off with it. But... Um, that was because I wanted to be a drummer. I think, like, relating this question, I was, like, slap superstar okay. with my right hand. It was just, like, all rhythm, but, like, very little note choice. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of, like, the whole existential crisis thing. I, I, like, I stopped playing bass for a year in, like, 2008 or 2009 and played guitar in a band because I was like, this will be fun. And when I picked the instrument back up, I'd lost a lot of that speed with my right hand. Mm-hmm. And then it was like, oh, my note choices now have to be more important because I have a little bit less dexterity so and it it definitely it it definitely worked because i don't really i still have a little bit of that slap technique and i've actually been working on it a lot more recently but uh i've kind of strayed away from that and gone more towards like melodic yeah you know and i can definitely see that in the band in the context absolutely
1: to add something uh to what you said about musical identity um it is i think important how you kind of view yourself Mm -hmm. as a musician um and like Something subtle like I am a composer versus I am a guitarist uh, can change the way that you approach lots Absolutely. of lo- like lots of situations. But I, like I saw a guy um, t- tell me that he, he started looking himself in the mirror and he, he like did a lot of like working out or whatever. But he never considered himself an athlete. And once he did consider himself an athlete, it changed his priorities. It changed the way that he was motivated. Um, and then I had another person. Um, that told me one of my friends they said that they couldn't view themselves as an artist anymore they had to view, them, view themselves as an educator because mm-hmm. it, it would drive themselves crazy and it makes a lot of sense to me because I think artist the the title comes with a lot of baggage it also comes with a lot of uh, expectations on kind of this self-destruction that I think artists are very capable of and rewarded for a lot of the times yes. mm-hmm. um, so I'm, I'm sh- lately really concerned with like how I'm viewing myself and I'm trying to make it the most broad thing. I used to be hyper into being a guitarist only. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was a modest position. I thought, like, I'm never going to say I'm a drummer or a bassist because I'm not. Mm-hmm. And I would I would feel really bad to try to pretend. Correct. Uh, but what I started to realize is that I could be more of a broad musician, more Mm -hmm. of a broad kind of composer, and I could do a lot of stuff. Like, I I was playing in keys recently, um, but also I composed a part without my guitar recently, and all these things are available. Like, you can sit on Ableton and write music, and Mm -hmm. it's not... The stuff that comes out still sounds like me, and uh, that's what I started to realize. Like, it's not that I'm like technically bound to a guitar and you see stories like people like Jason Becker, they're still writing albums um, and they like lost like physical ability. Uh, But that's like really inspiring. And also kind of it it liberates you from this kind of physical realm uh, where you you can make music with your eyes if you want, you know, like you can be this, yeah, this kind of diverse array of stuff and you don't have to be one specific thing. And it changes the way that you kind of uh, value stuff, I guess.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that was one thing. When I was younger, I used to think of myself only as an artist, and that was self-destructive and very egocentric. And recently, i found that the most healthy way for me to approach music is to think of myself as a student whose art is the application of his knowledge and experience. Interesting. Mm-hmm. And that okay. way, you're focusing. It's helped me focus on the learning aspect. And then through that constant learning, there's usually constant inspiration as yeah. well. Yeah, yeah. Um, But yeah, so continuing on that identity, I had a a second question kind of along those lines. Um, And that was in that same interview, you had said at one point that when you, you enjoyed listening to certain cliches, um, but when you actually played kind of predictable guitar lines, it made you physically uncomfortable were the words you used. (laughs) Um, And do you ever worry that that desire to innovate Um, is something that prevents, like, a larger audience from digesting some of your more complex work? Um, yeah, uh,
1: for sure. Um, uh, yeah, I think, uh, yeah, your story, I guess, until you die, I mean, even then, uh, your story is still, it's, it's in the mind of uh, other people, so, Mm -hmm. like, you, you, the meaning of you is always kind of changing in different people's mind and being reformed every time they think about you, but, um, yeah, I, I... Hmm. Yeah, I've lately been focused more on, like I said this earlier, like timbral characteristics and uh, setting up expression pedals where I can control subtle things about the EQ or like pitch shift and tremolo speed, all these kinds of things where I can really uh, have these textural kind of uh, like inputs versus only relying on technique. Um, But yeah, I I think there's a maturity there that I'm slowly getting. And I think that there will be a, a more more accessibility, I guess. But when I was younger, it was very much like uh, like, it, like all fire. It was like I want I wanted to like burn everything down. Uh, and then now I feel like I want it to be a lot more subtle. I want, it, I want the, there to still be complexity, but I want it to be kind of beneath the radar. I want, like, I literally want people to be able to bop, bob their heads through pretty much anything that we put out. And that wasn't a big goal when I first started. I wanted to make more angular sounds that were abrasive and that were loud and kind of showed that I was there. Um, But yeah, now I'm kind of seeing the value in having that digestible um, But also something maybe more like extended release where there's a lot going on But it's subtle and it's like hard to catch the first time And then if you really kind of go back and listen There's a lot more there for for anyone that wanted to do that But also you could just, like if you were just, I don't know, drinking at a party You could vibe out or dance or feel good Mm -hmm. And you wouldn't have to have like glasses on and like that glasses emoji Like you wouldn't have to be like Doing math to like listen to it or to enjoy. enjoy it. Yeah,
0: yeah, absolutely. Um, that's rad. And switching gears a little bit, um, this is one thing that I've, as a teacher, been more kind of aware of. So I'm curious to hear your opinion. Um, obviously, you draw influence from um, a lot of world music, which is obviously a very problematic kind of title. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I've seen the, the the tapping demonstration you did to that Indian rhythmic solfege video. Um, and then, obviously, there's just a lot of complex harmony and rhythm that you can tell you're you're, you're drawing from a lot of different places culturally. Um, and, unfortunately, all of that does get lumped under that kind of world music category. Mm-hmm. And what do you think it would take um, to get Western audiences to start differentiating between cultures and actually have that become kind of a bigger part of the music education uh, process in this country? Yeah. Um, so... Yeah, that's that's huge. Uh, I've been reading a lot of books.
1: Um, there's one, uh, shoot, yeah, I can't remember the title of it, but uh, but yeah, it's 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 harsh. It, it it's hard for I feel like us to fully. I don't know. It, it's hard to just kind of jump in a whole other like world and try to make a claim about it or anything like that. Of course, um, but. I, I do think that there is a kind of a mutual respect, and if, if you show that you care, I feel like that there is a, a back and forth of a conversation. But I did a, a conical video, uh, semi-recent, uh, where I basically transcribed this really complicated rhythm, and I put harmony to it. And the whole time, I was just painfully careful about, I don't know, being disrespectful. I people will go play uh, tablas, they'll go learn conical, in uh, like their whole life, you know, it'll, it's yeah. not something.
0: Uh, That's not something you dabble in for an yeah, Instagram video. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We
1: had a uh, we had a percussionist that played with us, Colin Agnew, and he told me something that really kind of uh, changed me. We we were at one point. This is probably like eight years ago. Uh, we were saying like I want. I was just saying that I wanted to get a pair of t- like some tablas to to play around with. Like they were on in musician's friend for like a hundred bucks or something like that. And I remember thinking that this was a good idea. And my friend said he Colin was just like, "Don't do that." And I was like, "Why?" And he's like, there, "There's no shallow end of the pool here." And I was like, what do you mean? Uh, And and he's like, people spend their whole life to this. This is a really, like, integrated kind of tradition, uh, and people have really strong opinions about it. If you just go and just, like, I don't know, dilly-dally on it, like, it it feels disrespectful. And I started to think of of things more in that regard, I guess, and Mm -hmm. uh, it kind of changed the way... But I, with this, I asked everyone that was involved uh, and said I wanted to cover it. I told them they were all stoked. Uh, mm-hmm. And then everyone was, it was a really great kind of cultural exchange that occurred. Um, I think to get it more in the education process, I, f- I feel like we have not done a great job of, of giving people credit and trying to respect different traditions. I feel like. Uh, the history of America is kind of like people making music, America snoozing on it, and then us getting it sold back to us. It's kind of like the history of the blues. Like yeah. A lot of the blues we didn't appreciate, or, or I guess white America didn't appreciate until white it, artists yeah, mm-hmm. until it was sold back to them from, like, I guess, a British interpretation. <laughs> uh, which is, yeah, and it, that still happens. It was like, I, I don't know, like a Hiatus Coyote, who are great, and like mm-hmm. Erica Badu endorsed them and they toured together. But I just remember, like a lot of people that I know, weren't listening to Eric Badu or any of the actual like soul and neo soul stuff uh, until like <laughs> white people came out and did the same thing. Uh, not to say that that what they did was bad, because there is a level of respect that like right. they have. But I think that the the more we are capable of showing respect and n- not saying that I'm going to take this, use this for my like, I don't know. I always picture Alexander the Great. He was like. I mean, controlling like all of Europe and Asia, and he was like 16 and he would like wear Persian garb and he would have like four wives from different cultures. And I always picture this person being like, people seeing him as like this worldly figure, but then I picture all those people from those different cultures hating him, being like, what are you, you just like rip something out and you're choosing it for your own, like, so I I try to just like show that I give a shit, essentially. Mm -hmm. And I think that the more we do that, the more that we kind of have this honest conversation where like, is this okay? Like you ask people, can I use this? You give people credit you don't just try to appropriate it for your own, like, like desire or your own kind of brand and just leave everyone else out of the conversation. I think that that's like the main thing. I think that education could be better and we could kind of like, I mean, I I feel like there's plenty of people that would love to come to America and teach like chronicle in like an elementary school or something like that. Mm -hmm. Um, Or like Indian classical music and stuff like that. I don't think there are people that are qualified to do that. um, And people probably in the States that are qualified, but I just think it's, it's about seeking out, people that are actually, like, representative of that tradition and people who know and, and not trying to find someone who wants to, like, fashionably wear it and just kind of give you a superficial representation
0: of it. I think that something like that. Yeah, absolutely. Did you have any thoughts on that, Ryan?
2: Uh, I mean, like, I guess... The standpoint of like early music education like when i think back like even in elementary school there was music class mm-hmm. and i don't remember anything from it like i remember i like, remember
0: hating it yeah it was like
2: well because that's that's how i knew i wanted to be a drummer because they were like make a musical instrument and like you know some kid had like a broomstick on a box and tried to make mm-hmm. a guitar and i just took like pots and pans and pringles cans and put them around my neck and made effectively like quads mm-hmm. you know like a marching band kind of thing um but then you know growing up and realizing that was a path for me Like, in high school and then all this kind of stuff, it's like, you pick jazz or classical? It's like, Uh, obviously, it was like, oh, jazz, it's based on math. It makes a lot more sense to me. It's more modern. But then I'm like, what am I missing out on? Mm -hmm. And then it was like, you... Then that was around the point when, like, YouTube was coming out and you could really use the internet to explore the whole world. And you're like, why were we not taught, yeah, like, conical and all that kind of stuff? Yeah, yeah. Like, there's different... Like it's not just seven, you know, twelve tones or you know, seven tones. If you're yeah. thinking about it diatonically, like mm-hmm. there's so many different types of scales, semitones, qu- you know, uh, quarter steps, all that kind of stuff, and rhythms that just melt your mind. Like if you're just listening yeah. to A C D C your whole life, you know, and it's like it, I guess my main point is if it were if we were exposed to that at a younger age, if music class was more like here's just listen to a bunch of stuff, here's some stuff to bang on. Yeah, like I remember there were there were literal theory lessons when I was like you know six seven years old it's like I'm not gonna retain any of this this is too abstract you know it's like find which kids have rhythm and which don't and then you know put the ones that have rhythm on drums, put the ones that don't have (laughs) rhythm on piano and everybody (laughs) will be fine. I
1: just think, yeah, exposure to those traditions early on. And then to people who know about the traditions, I mean, you could have guests, you could have all kinds of stuff that happen, but I I feel like that that is especially beneficial for younger people. Like the, the idea of like learn the basics and then, then experience these things that you can't comprehend. in. I feel like the fertile kind of ground of, of, uh, of developing like, I don't know, eight-year-old or something. They're they're totally ready to absorb all kinds of novelty and different things that other adults would like
2: find not good or whatever. Mm, very true.
0: Um, do you have any music education experience, Ryan?
2: Um, I mean, like we both went to AIM at the same time, and I've okay. done you know private lessons. Okay. Here, it's just so tough to find bass students that it's like. Oh really? Yeah. Well, I mean, just so few people want to learn how to play
0: the instrument. Thing. Interesting. I've found um, in my classes because we t- we teach contemporary instruments. Mm -hmm. Um, like bass, guitar, drums at my school and uh, there's a shocking amount of like Middle school girls who are really into bass because of Adventure Time and the oh, character yeah. Marceline. Yeah. And so I have like seven or eight girls who like came to me and were like, I want to play the bass. I don't know. Yeah. That's play amazing. Bass or... Maybe there'll be
2: a resurgence from these days. Yeah. We'll just have every character in every cartoon ever play, play the bass. bass. <laughs> and then we'll be fine. <laughs> That's how I saw it. Marceline is pretty convincing and she's pretty cool.
1: Yeah. Uh, I, I realized how teaching kids is actually great for like. Having your thumb on the pulse of America or whatever, mm-hmm. uh, because you can really see like how pop culture influences their desires and things like that. But like, uh, I remember Guitar Hero came out and that like took over yeah. everything. And I was teaching then, and I remember some kid said he practiced because he played Guitar Hero. I didn't actually practice, and I was like rolling my eyes at this whole thing. But then, after uh, I was done like resisting it or whatever, I started mm-hmm. seeing all of these kids start to want to learn all these guitar heavy songs uh, mm-hmm. and I just didn't I didn't expect that I was like I was seeing it as a, a way for kids to get out of playing guitar but it literally inspired so many kids to play guitar it also mm-hmm. inspired them uh, to listen to guitar music um, but I think that now there's a lot more uh, hip hop and a lot more uh, contemporary uh, or any pop music I, I hear guitar on it I was listening to, like, Young Thug's newest album, and there's guitar all over it. But a lot of those influences, just subtle reverberations when you kind of promote the guitar in whatever way. Mm-hmm. It could be through Adventure Time, or it could be through, uh, yeah, like, a, a video game. But it has an effect, and it really does, like, change the trajectory of these kids' paths or whatever.
0: Yeah. And so kind of putting that into the next question form a little bit, like um, how has teaching affected your approach to music? Cause I know you're someone who's very passionate, not only about making music, but about music education, teaching, um, on your Patreon, teaching on Instagram, teaching at, I think you teach at aim still. Yeah. yeah. And then obviously the, the private Skype lessons that you do, how has that affected your approach to, to being a composer and a musician? Um,
1: yeah, teaching, uh, people, it really, I mean, uh, it, it makes you better, it, makes you, it helps you learn the concepts better yourself, uh, having to explain it a lot of times. I mean, I think this is common knowledge for teachers. Um, but yeah, if, if you need to learn something, prepare a presentation as if you're teaching a class about it because to have the authority of knowing about it is to kind of rearrange it and try to articulate it in some way that's less idiosyncratic about you and more broad. Um, but yeah, I've, I've taught lessons before and I always kind of try to chase the engagement of the student. Uh, this is kind of a, a privilege because I don't teach a lot of beginners mm-hmm. so there's a way where I can be like, oh you think this is cool and I'll read the, their facial expressions and I'll kind of just follow it and then um, I guess I would do it with children too. but yeah, you just try to find what makes them excited and keep going and it might not be the best for like having a plan and making sure you're giving them this like completely like holistic kind of education but it for me a lot of times I'll, I'll teach people, For like three or four lessons and then they'll digest it for a few months and then they'll come back to me like a year later or something like that so it's like rarely a consistent student Mm -hmm. um but even at aim they they give me a class where i can just do whatever i want so i'll be like today we were reharmonizing stuff last week today uh i found this vocal only track of a alicia key song we're gonna put that in uh this mode of harmonic minor called lydian sharp Mm -hmm. (laughs) nine and we'll just we'll try to just reharmonize a pop song in some like weird obscure kind of stuff uh but it's always super fun and i could tell if they're into it or not you know and it's like i'm not trying to teach people if they're bored Uh, Mm -hmm. i i mean yeah i'll try to just follow what is exciting and i think a lot of times that has to do with the teacher being excited about it So, so typically i'll i'll only teach stuff that i'm really excited about which is another thing like yeah it's not as easy when you're like if you're at a music store teaching like kids all day but uh yeah i We'll get really excited about stuff. I'll teach them, and then we'll have this back and forth. And, like, a a lot of the times after a class or after a lesson, I'll end up writing something based off of what I was just teaching. Mm -hmm. um, Or I'll come up with lesson ideas or, like, video ideas. Uh, But, yeah, it's interesting. Like, one time I was teaching this kid, and he was, like, I was uh, showing him this Rasagiato technique, and the kid was just, like, uh, I think this kid was probably 12 or 13. He was, like, why don't you do that Why you tap? I bet you could tap a note and then flick the strings underneath it. He literally just like blew my mind, uh, and I just proceeded to ignore him for the rest of the lesson. <laughs> no, uh, but we both worked on it together, and it was weird. I ended up making a whole video after that about this thing called understrumming, and I used it probably on like 20 songs. I still use it all the time. The song Tuck My Tail, the whole song is like this technique. Mm-hmm. Uh, but basically you, you like tap a note, and then you can kind of flick out. You can tap one note or more. Uh, but yeah, you can just flick out and still use your fingers and you can basically have your right hand like strum things while your left hand is moving around and doing rhythmic stuff. Um, but yeah, it's, there's always like dots that are like waiting, waiting to be connected and like a lot of times just having more eyes on a
0: problem will help you kind of understand it in different ways. Mm-hmm. And then Ryan, same question to you, how has teaching affected your approach to music? Well, I think,
2: especially as a bassist, like, teaching through the years, like, I was even teaching, like, private lessons to people I knew back in Savannah when I was still in high school, Mm -hmm. and, you know, it was a very small pool of people. I mean, it's way smaller than Atlanta, but there were a couple kids that wanted to learn just what I knew in high school, Mm -hmm. just growing up playing in, like, a, you know, public school jazz band and all that kind of stuff, and the more I did it, like, through the years, the more I realized, like, I could explain things a lot more succinctly as I continued to gain experience and then Mm -hmm. that was Made it a lot more easier for me to internalize the concept because it's not like you're, you know saying a paragraph just to tell people how to go from the fifth fret to the seventh fret You know, it's more just like the more you teach it the the more You know ingrained it becomes in you and the easier Mm -hmm. it becomes just to access in your own mind And then you don't even have to think about it anymore Then you can move on to like bigger concepts and all that kind of kind of stuff, but uh, I haven't taught a lot of private lessons recently. I'd, I would like to start getting back into it, but um, but yeah, I guess mainly yeah. The point of just being like succinctness is key as yeah. a bassist because <laughs> we don't have time to sit there and talk about flowery stuff. It's like no, you got to play the root of that chord. You, know? yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you got to know what it is. <laughs> you got to know why inversions
0: work and which ones to play. You know. Absolutely. Um, and then one thing I'm, I'm curious about too is obviously. Um, the music that you play and the the way that you you approach the instrument josh requires uh, a certain level of obsession yeah. um and so i'm curious does that obsession ever become unhealthy
1: yeah uh yeah uh yes <laughs> no uh, so i think i didn't have a lot of Positive, and this is, goes back to the identity aspect mm-hmm. of being an artist and things like that. Pretty much every time I would announce that I was engaging in something unhealthy, like working on a part uh, for 30 hours straight, like just obsessing, like manically obsessing over it, uh, people would praise me for that. And I think, uh, I think that it's done some kind of damage. Uh, I think I'm completely happy where I'm at. And uh, I'm stoked that I, I guess, had the motivation to, to do those kinds of things. Uh, But I think there was a level of like mental illness involved and I think that people were glorifying it and uh, so I've had a hard time and this has been maybe the past couple years I've tried to kind of separate myself from that um, and try to think more holistically more long term. I've also noticed things like uh, the more you obsess over something generally the less likely it is to occur it's kind of like the more you desperately want to be beautiful, the more ugly you see yourself, the more mm-hmm. uh, and this is like an Alan Watts quote, but he basically says like the more like greedy you become, like the less satisfied you are with what you have, you know, like the, the more like obsessive you are about any particular thing happening. It's like the less it, it's almost like to be happy. You can't like be obsessed with like becoming happy or something like that. It's almost like counterproductive. But I I would notice things like I would put everything on trying to play a good show and occasionally it would happen, and then the next night you're trying to play that. You're like, what did I do last night to make it so good? Mm -hmm. And you're preoccupied with the last night, the desire of trying to have these expectations or trying to have this specific result, and it almost never will be this exact thing that you want. So uh, I'm learning in these past couple years that I should kind of like – Accept the way things occur um, and not come in with so much. I, I just feel like having all of this like cloudedness from expectations, from inadequacy, from uh, insecurity. All of these things, which you can't necessarily control, but I can kind of sit back and observe the thoughts rather than totally like shake their hand and, and welcome them in. <laughs> so I, I'm learning that we we just did a, a video recently, mm-hmm. literally Thursday. Uh, yeah, <laughs> two days ago. Uh, two days ago. But uh, at... We're, what's the... Uh, Standard Electric. Standard Electric. Uh, it's cool. It, but It's like one shot of a VHS, and he's just filming. And
2: uh, was that Cherry Log that just came out? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We uh, literally just put it out, like, yeah. what, two or three hours ago? Yeah. yeah. He but... Uh, it to me. Oh, cool.
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh, and this was a different approach for me. Uh, in the past, I've just obsessed over parts. And, like, there's a part in More Like Jason, which uh, is actually really cool. But uh, it's this whole slidey part. Yeah. Uh, and I... I wrote it uh, and basically I, I spent probably 30 hours straight on it, and then I deleted all the files when I was like mad at it, and uh, I re-recorded it, and then I ended up we put out the album, and I still like the other ones better. Um, you but, deleted. Yeah, and I think that I was literally just having this like manic episode around this part, and everyone like. I don't know, I, I would post about how obsessed I was with this album and how I was trying my hardest. And I, w- I felt like I was trying to like reach into the sky and like make God, like make this occur exactly how I wanted it and it just would never get there and there was like physical limitations. But I felt like I really had an unhealthy relationship to that and I feel like everybody was like, like, I don't know, so-and-so likes this, you know, like <laughs> in my mind it was like I had all of the the validation for doing this completely like... It just wasn't considering myself. I wasn't listening to my body, uh, mm-hmm. and I think there's a lot of things now that I'm realizing actually matter a lot, like your posture, but also your sense of balance. Like if you're s- standing up and your weight isn't distributed evenly on both of your feet, it's like your your timing is is offset by that. Mm-hmm. Uh, your your head and like if it's like bobbing with the music, if you're kind of just like mindlessly swaying, it's like the sound and how it's hitting your ears. There's all kinds of things that have to do with the way that you're respecting your own body uh, mm-hmm. and how that like influences your playing but uh, it would be the, the point where I'm worried about this part it's like my wrists would be hurting my back would be hurting whatever I would all of that was out of the window. It was only tunnel vision and I feel like that um, yeah it's it's great that I'm realizing that that's not sustainable and that like I guess it kind of propelled me in the beginning and I'm kind of stoked to have that kind of motivation but at the same time I'm realizing now how unhealthy it was and how I'm gonna like wear out completely burn out, or whatever if I keep going in this direction so I have to stop and I have to like play for 20 minutes get up like go outside like breathe mm-hmm. in the air like talk to a friend tell someone I love them you know like mm-hmm. go back inside play listen to my body if something hurts like chill out on it like uh, yeah don't yeah the razor-sharp like focus tunnel vision thing uh, yeah I mean I think Maybe as a teenager or something, you can pull it off, but there's a point where you have to establish healthy habits. You have to respect yourself, consider yourself like an, ar- an artist or a musician or a composer or whatever, but consider that as like you are qualified to do that and like empower yourself, like love yourself essentially. But yeah, mm-hmm. I'm just learning that slowly, but.
0: One thing, because obviously, I mean, I have, a, I have a question specifically about that song, um, more like Jason, because that part is pretty legendary um at least in you know music uh, Mm -hmm. like circles um or musician circles i should say um so and hearing you describe it and your your kind of tunnel vision on it i'm curious were you thinking about kind of the lyrical theme as you were playing that or were you just so focused on the the, the part yeah i have so yeah the part
1: basically the whole song um some of the songs like will come to us pretty formed, and Brock will kind of come up with a lot of different parts, and i will have this kind of cohesive thing. With that one, it was like mostly coming from me, so I had like the chord progression for the verse, I had all these different things, I had this bridge section, but basically I knew I wanted all of that to fall apart, and to basically uh, have this almost like post-apocalyptic vision to where everything is spelled apart, every- okay. there's like ashes in the air. Um, but the idea was. Uh, I I had been listening to these different calls of prayer uh, uh, in uh, like the UAE and stuff like that. And I was fascinated because they didn't consider them music, but they sounded like beautiful music to me. Uh, But they're like specifically not music in that culture. Uh, And that was like really curious and interesting to me. Uh, But I remember thinking like if you had society fall apart and you had like AI or robots that were all that was left, um, I had this like vision of... You'd have this ashes of civilization. You'd have these robots that were still going. And you'd have a lot of these human rituals. And the robots wouldn't necessarily know what was necessary to sustain uh, intelligent life. So these robots are just performing different rituals that humans did because they're just playing it safe. They're conservative, uh, trying to figure out, like, what will sustain life. But uh, this, this to me, was like this robot call to prayer where there's, like, a ring modulator on the part. And there's mm-hmm. all these slides. uh but it was just this weird vibe where I wanted to make this, like... These robots engaging in this kind of human thing, but then make it sound like it was a robot, but then make it sound like it was, like, fundamentally human and try to play with that difference.
0: But, yeah, that's, like... Yeah. That's so, sort of the musical concept behind it? Yeah,
1: yeah. And so the, I don't even think the lyrics were written yet, so I didn't really know what where the song was going to go. But at that, that point, I was just trying to make this
0: kind of dystopian future. Uh, but, yeah. Okay, so that's that's a really interesting thing, because that's, again... Um, is, is there any... And not that it's a bad thing or a good thing necessarily because it's just how music is made but I'm curious how you feel about because you have this whole vision for the music behind that song and it's very specific Mm. and it's very like thought out and then we get the lyrics on top of it and that kind of changes the way the song is kind of interpreted because Mm. there's so much focus on obviously singers and words and lyrics. Is there any sort of friction there? I mean, I'm curious what your impression is of that.
1: Um, I it's weird I, I feel like I'm kind of in one lane and then the lyrics are in another like uh I don't know I I kind of let Brock personally kind of sculpt that our, mm-hmm. our singer Brock uh but then yeah and then he does the same with the guitar parts so it was kind of like me uh going off and then the lyrics came afterwards uh and how we felt about like I guess the parts or how they inspired him mm-hmm. but uh, yeah I don't know I I guess the holistic kind of uh total of the song is what a listener experiences but maybe there's more to it if they like kind of peel back the layers and listen Mm -hmm. to it a lot of times but for me yeah I kind of just focus on what I'm doing and I kind of let like let the song like emerge as it as it does however it does uh yeah I'm not I'm not trying to tightly tightly grasp it and like hold hold on to some specific thing and curate it every step of the way of course um i think i'm I'm working on some solo material i'm going to do a solo album for koala nights um, and that will be more of that kind of tight grip but with our band we have six members and uh, i've never it's pointless to try to to hold it so tightly and also it's not healthy for all of us to just have that kind of rigidity like we have to kind of be open and I, I get this a lot in music, but yeah, the more freedom you give people, the more invested they are. Uh, and the more they can invest themselves. Uh, if you want them to play exactly what you want, then you better pay. <laughs> <laughs> but if you want them to be invested in your project and to care, then it's a different it's a different thing. Yeah. Unless That's you pay true. a lot, you can pay a lot.
0: <laughs> they can care too. Um, yeah, absolutely. Um, and then uh, one question I like to end with um, is and this is for both of you guys um, if you could go back in time and give your younger self one piece of advice about making music uh, what would it be it would, yeah for me it would probably be like to listen to your body
1: to not put not attach your self worth to how good you played that day mm-hmm. that's like ultimately futile and like we had one kind of we had a show where we sold out in Brooklyn and we were headlining it and I remember a, I, sh- I remember thinking this, like, projected future of me being, like, on top of the world, like, wow, we sold out, this is going to be a great night, but I missed, like, two notes or something, and I was so obsessed into my head and so annoyingly self-conscious about it that I was, like, having, like, suicidal ideations and stuff about this these just ephemeral things that didn't matter that no one noticed Uh, Mm -hmm. and I was just like sitting there and I I just could not take any kind of success because I was so obsessed with some like ideal but I think yeah just I would just tell myself to listen to my body and to not attach my like to love myself regardless of what I'm doing even if I decided to never play music again to love myself and appreciate myself uh, yeah without Tying it to my performance in that moment, like specifically, like yeah, I think it's just a kind of toxic for people to kind of build themselves around how you're playing in the moment. <laughs> yes, it also makes you play worse, I think, too. Like mm-hmm. you're, you literally play worse because you're so fixated on it. But I think you ca- you casually come in. Uh, we had a guy Quinn play sax on our song uh, that we recorded oh, on Thursday yeah Great and, solo by yeah oh, that, yeah and, <laughs> and that w- we did like three takes of it uh, and they're completely all, all completely different mm. um, but he imp- improvises with people all the time and it's just the chillest mindset but th- that kind of thing the seasoned like person that's like at all of the jams you know the person that's always willing to play and that's not beating themselves up you know mm-hmm. at the end of it like that that to me is is such a a place to kind of aspire to get to like I I want to come into a a, to a session play feel self-assured not expect any particular thing and then be happy with what comes out you know like I think that that's kind of the goal I think if I could talk to myself in the past it would be like to let go of this like tight grip on like how you're trying to curate how people see you or whatever because of this technical prowess or something like that it would Mm -hmm. be to kind of just embrace the moment and yeah experience it as it is um, yeah absolutely and
2: then right yeah i guess other than the joke of being like just stop playing music now and focus on something else that pays, you know? <laughs> <laughs> that's the joke but yeah. the, the the one piece of advice i wish i could have given myself even especially in high school is like learn to broaden your listening horizons like i didn't get into like radiohead and uh, you know just like weird music and then even like Motown and stuff mm-hmm. like that as a bassist like I didn't get into that stuff until like 2008 or 2009 I graduated high school in 2005 so it was just like Radiohead was like in their heyday and mm-hmm. then I would you know I was like playing jazz I was like I only listen to music that has crazy bass on it you know yeah. and it that whole thing just missed me and then I went back and you know listened to OK Computer like 10 years after it came out and was just like this is brilliant. Like, why did I th- think this sucked ten yeah. years ago? You know, like, you know, when I was like coming of age, you know, and and then that. Speaking of like, I was I was talking about earlier where I put down the bass for a year. Like, when I picked it back up, I was pretty much only listening to like Motown, Radiohead, and uh, like Headhunters era Herbie Hancock. Mm-hmm. So like those three bassists, you know, Colin Greenwood, Paul Jackson, and uh, you know Jamerson. Yeah. Um, mostly Jamerson, obviously. Um, it, it like I stopped slapping. Like it completely changed the way I focused on the instrument. And if I just had, if I'd had the the maturity and the mental wherewithal to understand that, like not everything is jazz and not everything is technique, and it doesn't matter how fast you can play and how fast you can slap and everything. Mm-hmm. I guess I would have broadened, you know, what I could have done earlier on in my life if I just opened my ears a little bit more. But okay. I guess that comes with getting older too. Yeah. But.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, Um, Well, that's really cool. Um, As you notice, this was a little bit less of a music theory heavy discussion um, and that's because um, Josh does so much of his own uh, transcription and teaching over on his Instagram and his Patreon. You should definitely check out his Patreon because it has some of the coolest stuff um, and just super in-depth breakdowns of all of his insane techniques um, and it helps him make money, which is very important. Um, And so what else do you guys have to plug?
1: Uh, we have an East Coast tour coming up, uh, through the end of June and beginning of July. Uh, we're doing, um, we're recording right now. We're kind of in the studio. Uh, I'm doing a Koala Nights record, uh, which is going to be cool. And then I'm also doing a book, uh, it's with a Sheet Happens publishing called Tactile Probabilities, okay. which should be pretty cool. Uh, but yeah, it's going to be just a comprehensive, uh, look at like seeing the fretboard with two hands. Uh, and I'm trying to just really develop this like kind of total uh, like ability, uh, just a way of seeing it uh, and just kind of having this intuition where you can kind of know where to go with both hands in like most situations so you can just like jam or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, is there a tentative date for when that's going to be published? There is not. Okay. Um, I've been working on it. Uh, I'm probably like halfway done okay. uh, but yeah we're about to go on the road and then get back and I'm going to kind of hit that uh, full force and then do also the Quala Nights record. I think I'm going to have uh, John Douglas recorded. it. He lives mm-hmm. in Atlanta. He did, like, The Contortionist. He just did Nick Johnston's album. Okay. Um, but, yeah, that, that should be cool. That's been in the works my, like, whole life, probably. <laughs> uh, but well, you uh, get your whole life to write yeah. the first ones. I'm calling it – I haven't really told anyone this, but, yeah, I'm calling it Retro Causality, which is uh, because a lot of the stuff I wrote when I was, like, 17, other parts I wrote, like, yesterday. Okay. So it's, like, uh, I'm trying to engage with the past, and uh, sometimes I'll end up uh, almost, like – uh making it more nostalgic than it actually is because i'll see the past in this like weird lens where i'm kind of uh amplifying the childish aspects of it uh, it's interesting though to kind of to engage with your past self and try to yeah make it work but yeah it's
2: the crazy thing about that whole retro causality the that exact number of letters is the exact number of steps in the Penrose stairs. It's like and you can go infinity, forward and backwards. It's an infinity on them? stairway where so, it like goes down, but it's yeah. actually going well, up. Well, because he told me that one night we were just like Facebook chatting, uh-huh. and then I was like, he sent me the pen <laughs> I was like, this should be the album cover, and I look, I counted the number of steps and then counted the number of letters. I was like, dude, <laughs> that can't be a coincidence. Yeah. Um, but no, I've also got. Uh, I'm doing a transcription book um, of the 2016 self-titled record. Okay. Through sheet happens, and coincidentally, I literally finished it today. Oh. So wonderful. I literally like an hour ago it was like last note done save all right back this up don't lose <laughs> it you know mm-hmm. so uh, hopefully that will be it'll definitely be a pre-sale on the road um but if not okay like it takes some time to get pre- I, I was hoping to be done with this a couple weeks ago i've just been so busy but mm-hmm. um but yeah so hopefully there'll be physical copies
0: on the road if not it'll okay. be a pre-order but very very cool um thank you guys for sitting down with me and taking the time to share your knowledge it is much appreciated oh this is awesome cool yeah. thanks yeah. man this is great <laughs>